many cases we know who they are, we've studied them, and we can make an approach to them with a pretext, enter into a conversation, elicit very sensitive information, perhaps even have a number of follow-up meetings with them. Welcome to the Rain Insights on Security podcast with Brian Lynch. I'm Emily Donahue. In this episode, our host, Rain's Executive Director of Safety and Security, Brian Lynch, speaks with Peter Warmka, a former senior intelligence officer with the CIA and expert in clandestine human intelligence collection. His new book is called Confessions of a CIA Spy, The Art of Human Hacking. It's full of great tips for organizations to manage human risk. Let's listen. I'm here today with the founder of the Counterintelligence Institute and the author of a brand new book entitled Confessions of a CIA Spy, The Art of Human Hacking. Peter, your book goes into considerable detail regarding the methodology utilized by various threat actors to leverage insiders in data breach attacks. And what adds value to this book, as far as I'm concerned, is that it's written from your experience in the CIA, where you have breached the security infrastructure of numerous companies overseas, and it is based upon your own experience. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Brian. I I appreciate the invitation. And as I mentioned in my review of your book, it is a very thorough and detailed account of the nature of the threats facing organizations today from criminal organizations, malicious insiders, and nation-state actors around four specific areas. First one is around the targeting aspect. Why am I a target? Who is targeting me? And what are their motivations? The second topic area for Peter today will be, how does the threat actor, Peter, decide on target selection? The third area is really related to the techniques of recruitment, of either an individual or uh, the firm in general, and and how is that information obtained, and what processes should firms be aware of when they are the victim of that process of that uh, type of activity? And the fourth is uh, really uh, uh, taking care of uh, the firms that are listening, and how can we reduce their risk to this type of activity. So those are the four areas that we'll talk to Peter today. And so, Peter, I'm going to tee up the first one, which is, you know, what makes me a target? If I'm listening to this, why should I worry about either myself or my firm? Very good question. There are a number of different threat actors out there and what motivates them and what their objectives are. And they're not necessarily mutual exclusive. Let me let me explain. Probably number one on the list that everybody thinks about are criminal groups. And if you were to look at any statistics or these graphs, it shows that criminal groups are the ones that are behind the vast majority of, of data breaches, which probably is true, but I think it needs to be better understood. A criminal group can be anything from a, a, a very small that group of people, or it can be a very large criminal enterprise. They're pretty much looking at financial gain. That's what, what motivates them. And they could be after proprietary information. They could be after customer data. They could be after employee records. Uh, it could be the installation of ransomware in the systems. It could be business email compromise. It could be even sabotage. But the reason uh, criminal groups typically are not going to, when it comes to the theft of information, 
it's typically not going to be stolen by them and maintained by them. It's not like uh, someone who steals a, a work of art. They're not stealing it for their own collection. They're looking to offload it, looking to sell it later. So we can think of criminal groups as being involved in some of these things and also potentially working with nation states, intelligence services. There's intelligence services that are going to be after proprietary information, but criminal groups can also be leveraged by these nation states to actually steal this information for them. And it also provides for them a means of being non-attributable back to the nation state. Industrial competitors might also want to be after proprietary information. Does that mean an industrial competitor is going to set up their own intelligence unit to try to acquire this information? Or might they use a criminal group or might a criminal group procure this information and sell it to them? Uh, Customer data is probably one of the biggest uh, areas of concern for a lot of companies, as well as the employee records, because this information, once it's procured or stolen, it's many times it's transactional. It can be bought, offered, and, and, and uh, purchased on the dark web. Of course, ransomware and business email compromise are for immediately turnaround to get financial gain. Um, other groups besides the criminal groups and, and nation states and industrial competitors can be activist groups. They're out to try to embarrass a particular organization uh, and and to use that information maybe to leverage an organization to make some changes along the way. There can also be these lone wolves. A lone wolf is someone who might want to go ahead and it could be actually a hacktivist that really doesn't go into this intending to steal information for resale, but it's the challenge. They want to go ahead and see if they can breach the security of an organization and they're proud of doing it when they when they do achieve that objective and they're willing to share that information with with fellow hackers and, and to even make that information public. So there's a whole variety of different threat actors that are out there and, and the types of information that they could be trying to procure as well and or what they might try to do to gain fi- quick financial return on, on these activities. As a summary for our listeners, as you rightly pointed out, whether it's a nation-state actor, criminal organizations, hacktivists or activists, uh, or uh, malicious insiders. I think you also discuss that uh, in in your book relative to some of the threats that firms uh, will will have to contend with. Uh, And thereafter, as you rightly pointed out, the proprietary information, the sensitive information that is uh, contained within the firm that they either produce uh, intellectual property or whether they produce goods and services, uh, it's, that, it's that DNA that makes them special. That, that's, uh, that's what they're after, as you pointed out. Um, and I, I appreciate the, the, uh, the targeting information there, uh, Peter. And let's move on to topic area two. It, it's w- once the firm or the individual has been targeted, meaning that, hey, I want to, based upon whatever the motivational factors that you pointed out, whether it's nation state or greed, um, uh, or just targeting the firm because they don't like them and want to impact their uh, ability to, to do whatever they are, are trying to do. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm getting to here and what you have uh, rightly noted in your book is w- once I am a target, uh, how are they going about selecting an individual inside that firm uh, to, uh, to obtain that information that they're trying to either elicit or 
uh, steal, of course, or somehow impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting because prior to the digital age, it was very difficult. I mean, not everybody was a target. There, we had target selection had to be very, very, very uh, carefully conducted because not everybody had access to the information. Information was more closely held. You had to find out who had access to that information or where that information maybe was stored and file file cabinets locked away. Who might be involved in uh, discussions regarding plans for for acquisitions in the future or rollout of new products, etc. Now. With the digital age, almost everybody in the organization, employees as well as contractors, do have a degree of access. In many cases, a lot, many cases, a lot of access to information that is held somewhere in the company. So uh, we, can, we, we can actually take a look at almost everybody in the organization, but we can prioritize them. And what I typically would do is look at and when I prioritize targets is finding the targets that I can find the most information on. So a very first initial step in targeting in today's world is so easy compared to before we had to look for an organizational chart. Now I can get on LinkedIn and I can do a search for an organization and the position of maybe someone who I might be interested in taking a look at. I do that search name and I mean, sorry, name of company and position. And it's going to, it's going to, produce hundreds, if not thousands of people, and I can further whittle that down by geographic location, more specificity on regard to the position of the individual. And I can also take a look at who might already have their bios contained in the organization's website. More now than ever, people are out there, and even people at the highest levels of an organization, senior management, they'll have their pictures, they'll have their biography up, up there, a lot of even some personal information about them. The more information that's out there, the easier it makes us to hone in on those individuals and to study them even further. And if I talk about senior management, these are individuals that in addition to having pretty much access to everything on the network, they're also going to be those that are, are involved in some of these senior leadership meetings and they're going to know, some, know about future plans and, and attentions that maybe are not that type of information is not yet readily available if someone were to try to search for that uh, through their databases. So I typically will be looking for individuals in senior management uh, up to the C-suite uh, as individuals who could be easily uh, targeted because of the level of information that's out there about them and the level of access that they likely have in their organization. And Peter, from your personal experience in doing this for a number of years, what attributes did you look for in that individual that you wanted to recruit? There's a, there's a number of different things. We typically, when we assess an individual as far as how we might be able to leverage them as a human hacker or a social engineer, we will look at what motivations might be driving them or what vulnerabilities they may have. Motivations could be if they're, you know, we see that they really are family individuals. They really care a lot about their family. Or are they really career driven? Or are they really, do they have a high, you know, is their ego really important to them? Uh, how much are they out there to build their, their own particular networks of individuals? Or do they have vulnerabilities? Do they seem to be uh, really tied up in material things? And, and uh, uh, are they out there a lot of times socially where they could be perhaps targeted and easily 
gotten into situations where they, you might be able to really elicit a lot of information from them, information that they don't think of it as sensitive information, but a good elicitor, which um, in my previous career, uh, we became very, very uh, well skilled at it. And I know a lot of social engineers today, whether you're, you're working for a criminal group or an intelligence service, utilize elicitation and can procure a considerable amount of very sensitive and protected information that individuals have no idea that this is taking place. So a lot of it has to do with what, how much information is out there about the individual and then how accessible do they make themselves to various types of approaches. And let's focus on your experiences because this is fascinating. Once the decision is made on what the goal is about obtaining information from a company, you've identified the company, and then you go through the process of identifying an individual or individuals that you think would get you that information. What does that process look like when you start to engage with the action plan? I'd also like you to talk about how important it is for companies to understand that the humans that are employed by them are also at risk. Absolutely. There's a lot of different techniques that a social engineer can utilize. In all cases, social engineering takes place when the social engineer enters into contact or makes the approach to the intended target. And that can be done via, you know, you hear about email and you hear about phishing. And I'm not talking about basic phishing here. When we're talking about sophisticated social engineering, it's, it's, that, it's that close analysis of the target individual and knowing that even if they've had basic phishing training, devising a particular email that has a link or an attachment that when they see it, they're not going to even imagine that this is an phishing attack. It's a spear phishing. And they will click on that link or open that attachment without even giving it a second doubt. That's just one of many different techniques. There's also in the industry we call vishing. And this is where we can make a phone call into an organization or to the, into the intended target. Once again, we've studied them and we can use a lot of different types of pretexts. We can be whoever we want to be and we can disguise with using some basic technology. We can spoof that call to change the caller ID number. We can call as if it's a, we're calling from a customer, a customer's office or it's, it's an office from the same company on the other side of the, the continent. Or perhaps it's a call from, from a, the financial service uh, firm that the target is dealing with. I mean, we can, we, can, we can make that call appear to come from whoever we want it to, to come from, and we can begin to use it to ask questions, to elicit information that normally the person wouldn't be given out to anybody that they didn't know, but they believe this person is a trusted individual that they can provide, answer the questions to. And so that becomes a very effective uh, targeting ploy to elicit sensitive information. It doesn't have to be always hacking in to the IT network to get at the information. It can be done through targeting these individuals and being able to procure a lot of sensitive information from them. Then there's also these direct approaches, face-to-face approaches, which are very effective in going out to meet targets when they're attending trade shows or conferences. We know they're going to be there. In many cases, we know who they are. We've studied them. And we can make a, an approach to them with a pretext and, be, and enter into a conversation, elicit very sensitive information, perhaps even have a number of follow-up meetings with them. 
One ploy that's very effective is approaching individuals to try to get them to work as an independent consultant to to a client, to a target, to a, an organization that might be interested in information regarding the industry. And that can be done a number of ways. One of the most effective is calling an employee and posing as an executive recruiter and saying that you we have a client we're working for that is really is interested in individuals with your type of profile, with your type of experience. We believe you could be a really good fit. Of course, they throw out that the compensation is going to be much higher than what they're earning now. Their title might be might be higher, more responsibility. Who's not going to want to entertain that prospect of, you know, at least to find out through curiosity, well, what am I worth in the marketplace? So they, they engage in a few conversations and ultimately instead of placing them with a, a company in a new position, they, they, ha- they contract them as an independent consultant. And so once again, you don't have someone breaching the IT network and hacking in to get the information where that can be detected you have someone that's taking information out of the organization on a regular basis, undetected most times, and can be going on for weeks, months, or even years. So these are the types of breaches that take place, which in some cases are never, ever detected. Some of the targets are being robbed blind, and they have no idea that it's happening. Yeah, that's a great point, because the goal of the person who is starting up that kind of relationship is to obtain that sensitive information, but manipulating the process by which that is obtained from the person. You mentioned in your book the personality profile assessment that is used to develop a plan to influence and manipulate. So can you go into a little bit more detail on that, Peter? Because I think that's very important to pick up on that type of, uh, of communication. Well, once again, a, a social engineer is going to play to what they believe really motivates the individual. There are some individuals that just love to talk about themselves or they love to help somebody. If, if you're approaching them and you want to really understand an issue, they love to mentor, they love to coach, and they're likely to share as much information to try to satisfy a query that might come in from somebody. This is like when we study somebody, we, we try to find out what thing can we develop a commonality with. For example, if I know an individual went to a particular university, and of course we can find that on social media so easily, uh, where they went, what did they study, when did they graduate. In our own background, we can also mention that we've gone to that university or maybe we studied that the same degree. That develops right away a certain degree of rapport. Rapport is really important. If I feel that connection with somebody, I'm more likely to really want to to dialogue with them, uh, share my insight, and and probably go a lot further than what I should in, in, uh, in providing that information. Or perhaps with a very similar ploy, someone who claims to be studying right now from that university and is doing a research paper and decided to contact somebody who probably could help them out with this project by answering a few simple questions. And we all know what it was like going to the university and, and uh, conducting research. And we can put ourselves in that situation. We want to help out somebody, especially somebody who's come, gone through our, uh, to, our, to our same university from the same alma mater. So we have to look at what people, what kind of, what's going to motivate people? What can we leverage that might make them uh, really want to 
meet with us on a not just a necessarily a first time basis, but on a regular basis, because we're we're also trying to satisfy some of the things that they're yearning for, something that's going to satisfy them in regard to their motivations. Vulnerabilities, as I did touch upon, and I do touch upon that in the book, are things that are really, really strong. And, and once we get our hooks into an individual, being able to, and many times vulnerabilities these days, this has always been the case, but even more these days, I think previously we talked about the impact of COVID and the impact on the economy and the fact that a lot of people have lost their jobs, even though your employee maybe still has retained their job, they have a family member, spouse, or someone else from their household who's lost their income, they're now beginning to feel the financial stress. And when people have financial problems, money issues, there's relationship problems, and they are prime regarding the vulnerability of being able to enter into something where you might be able to entice them with some financial reward, financial gain, to be able to assist in providing insight into uh, the industry, insight into the activities of your of your company. And they're able to rationalize that. They're able to rationalize it. Well, you know, what I'm providing is not that serious. Uh, I need this money for my family, the welfare of my family. And, uh, they, they, and once they do it, once they get hooked, it's almost like some other type of vice. They, it's very hard for them to get out. And they'll continue to do it. And they'll, and they'll be given more and more incentives, financial incentives for the more and more that they produce. That ultimately, in my opinion, is one of the most dangerous. It's the, it's the individuals that might be taking information out of the company that's not being detected by those who are monitoring the IT networks. Before we get into the last segment of our talk today, let's recap very quickly. We have an actor, whether that is a criminal organization an individual criminal uh, or a group looking to obtain information for, as you mentioned, the motivation there would be money. Uh, malicious insiders, uh, for a number of reasons, they're not happy with the company. Uh, or you have nation-state actors that are looking to obtain sensitive information. Once that firm is selected, you noted that there is, is, is an assessment process on who it is that they're going to target and understanding the motivations of the individual and then starting to have the interactions, whether it's initially through phishing or spear phishing, et cetera, and then face-to-face or some kind of human interaction. Whether you're using headhunters, conferences, consulting arrangements, uh, the goal there is to obtain that information, but masking the true intention of the person who is trying to obtain it. Let's talk about now, I'm a company, I work at the company, I may be a CEO, head of security at the, at the firm, and now I'm looking for steps to decrease my risk over this type of activity. Peter, what is the number one most important step I can take to reduce my risk? The number one step would be increasing the awareness within the firm regarding this threat the nature of the fact that there are individuals outside the organization who are trying to target, potentially target your organization. As I mentioned, a number of different threat actors and a number of different objectives that they may have. But there are always going to be individuals that are going to think, well, my firm really doesn't have the data or information that would be of any interest really to these external threat actors. When that's brought up, I always say you need to think about who do you do business with? Who are your clients or who are your suppliers? Because 
many times when we come across a hard target, we will look to who are the softer targets with which they are conducting business and actually target those companies as a conduit to getting to the ultimate target. So we can never discard our organization as being a target of, of interest to a threat actor. So we need to increase that awareness within our organization from the very top, from the C-suite all the way down to the entry level regarding uh, that these we could be targeted. Then it's, it's how can we reduce the, the, the possibility of being targeted and if we are being targeted, what, what can that look like and how can we react to that? So one of the very first things for the organization as well as its employees is what is the information that we have control over that we decide whether or not we're going to make that public information or we're not going to blast it out on the social media airwaves. For example, a company will put a lot of information out on its website for promotional reasons, to make it, you know, for marketing, to make, for to differentiate itself from its competitors. Nothing wrong with that, but there are times when there's just too much information that's put out there that makes it much more vulnerable to these type of attacks because there are, co- there are entities that I have taken a look at and decided this would be an organization that I would love to really try to... Uh, to launch an attack against or try to figure out how to do it. I can't find any, hardly any information about it. I know there are people back there that there has to be a process that almost anything that's released on the website or through other channels is closely scrutinized. And it's decisions are made whether or not that information should be put out there or not. That that could include the bios of uh, senior leadership. You know, do we put that out there or do we only put their name instead of putting their picture and their all their history and the names of their, you know, of their children and, and everything else. What about the job postings? When a, uh, when a job posting goes out and they, you know, that's, it's an important mechanism to detail the requirements for a job, but there are times when there's way too much information on those job postings, which pretty much detail the IT architecture of a firm. Does that really have to go out there? And can, is that, is that something that could be leveraged by social engineers or hackers? Absolutely. Then there's times when if there's upcoming events, organizations might even put out a diagram of what the floor plan looks like to help guide people to the particular uh, event. A floor plan can be very useful to someone that's looking to make an intrusion into the company. When I talk about floor plans and and those being, you know, maybe uploaded through the corporation's uh, website or maybe through other social media accounts that they have or their employees have, all types of pictures from the workplace that are being uploaded have the potential of revealing way too much information. The interior, what does the interior look like? Are they self-contained offices with locks? Are there open workspaces or are these lounge spaces where people can come and go? Employees photographing themselves and uploading pictures with their badges on them. That, <laughs> that provides a lot of interesting information. Uh, there's times the pictures are taken of them in front of uh, their workstations where we might even see the username and password that's on a sticky note next to their monitor. I mean, there's a lot of things that are being pushed out there. Apparently, in some organizations, there's no one that really is taking a look at what is their online profile when it comes to the amount of information. That's on the organizational level. On the individual level, the same thing. When we go out and take a look at targeting the insiders, potential insiders, most of the information today, and we can do within 20 to 30 minutes, 
establish this online, establish this personality profile based on everything that this individual has put out there on social media, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. This is really revealing. And I know a lot of the individuals, they like to have a presence on social media. There's nothing wrong with that. But the more information they put out there, the better we can assess right away if this is an individual that we want to target. And if we want to target them, it provides a great insight into their motivations and vulnerabilities that we can exploit. So the very first thing is through the awareness, realizing what information should maybe I, I, I think twice about before I make that information public, decreasing that amount of information. Secondly, helping organizations or the employees in their organizations understand what these threats look like, what these attacks may look like. And I know that most organizations today have uh, compliance training, okay? It's very common that on an annual basis, employees are required to watch a video and then answer a few questions. The thing is, when it comes to compliance, it just means comply. Comply with the the, the letter of the law, right? I, I got to comply with this to maintain my position. So I, I go through the motion and I watch the video or I play the video while I'm multitasking. I'm looking at other emails or text messages coming in. I answer the question. If I get the answer wrong, I can go back and do it again. And eventually I'll pass and I'm good for another year. How can an employee retain Understand why this is important and retain it. It's more important for the employee to understand why it's important to understand these threats and and how to conduct, you know, if the threat is coming in, potential threat, what to do about it and to take the appropriate action so that uh, instead of the do's and don'ts, it's really important to understand the why. And, and instead of making it compliance, make it more of a cultural change in an organization. Employees at all levels are stewards to the protection of that organization. And they should feel that what they're learning is not only to protect their organization and the customers of the organization, but it's something that they can take back home with them and apply the same security awareness in their own lives because a lot of the same techniques that are being utilized to target organizations when we talk about phishing uh, attacks, for example, are done to individuals on a daily basis as well in the case of of identity theft. So there's value. There's value to the employee and the employee must feel that buy-in. They must have the buy-in of the employee to make this sort of thing truly effective. They must understand what these attacks might look look like and when they are... potentially receiving something that could be questionable. A slogan that I use with my clients all the time is verify, then trust. If you trust something, then later on think, well, let me see if this was is true or not. It's too late. You need to verify. Is this incoming email or this incoming phone call from someone who claims to be uh, a certain individual, are those really authentic? Uh, are, are those real? Because anybody can tell you anything, and we tend to, to, unfortunately, we tend to trust uh, practically everything that we hear and see, and we need to question that sometimes. And there's nothing wrong, and no, no organization should fault an employee for just taking the added step to verify. And if there truly is a concern, what really is important is for employees to immediately, there should be a system in place to report in, uh, security incident reports that need to go to a central location within the company because if an organization is under attack, if a security professional is receiving at the same time a number of these incident reports, they know, hey, there is something going on here and they need to send out to everybody immediately, hey, 
be on the guard. There's something going on here, and we need to scrutinize everything a lot more closely here. So those are the three main areas that I would focus on. Yeah, great, great points, Peter. Companies are a target. They hold value. There are threat actors that will try to obtain that value, mask their intentions, and they're very successful at it, as we've seen. And and I think, as you rightly pointed out, the number one priority for firms is to understand that they are a target and they do hold something of value. And your point about taking training seriously is uh, can't be understated. To your point about the threat actors leveraging blind trust and not being aware of the social engineering skills of these threat actors, they do that to their own peril. Right, Peter? Absolutely. And I guess I just want to highlight one more thing. I think too often... Uh, leadership thinks that, well, technology is the silver bullet, it's the solution. We'll put more and more money into technology, and and they really undercut the impact of the human factor because human hackers, social engineers are always consistently manipulating humans who interact with that technology to circumvent the technology uh, and the process and the, the procedures and the controls. So technology is important. But it can always be circumvented if we don't focus on the human beings that are working for us. Thanks again, Peter, for joining me today and offering your insights into this very important topic. I'm sure that all of our listeners are understanding of the threat and in using this information in furtherance of their security. Thank you, Brian, very much. Appreciate the opportunity. Peter Warmka is the author of Confessions of a CIA Spy, The Art of Human Hacking. Brian Lynch is Rain's Executive Director of Safety and Security. If you'd like to learn more about how Rain can help you and your business focus on what you need to know, what to expect, and what to do, visit rainnetwork.com. Whether they're physical, digital, or other complicated risks, our teams help yours with critical insights and expertise to manage better outcomes. Join us at rainetwork.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.